Identity is an important concept in our culture today. In fact, it's a cultural buzzword, if you will. But we've cared about identity for a very long time. Some of you will recall the rock band The Who, and they have a song entitled, Who Are You, right? And it's almost impossible not to say that song, sing that song, right? And for those of you who don't know, I will give you a little clip of it. It just repeats over and over again. Who are you? Who, 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 right? And once again, you, yeah, there you go. (laughs) There you go. And you guys realize why I'm not the music pastor, right? (laughs) We've cared about identity for a long time as people. And we ask these questions like, whose son is that? Or where is she from again? And it's not just where we get our last name that makes up our identity, but the culture in which we were raised, or the nation in which we were raised, or what social groups we're a part of, that all informs, uh, all of those are factors that inform how we perceive ourselves and how others perceive us. That's our identity. And as we get ready to embark on the Gospel of John, we're going to be looking at the identity of Jesus. We're going to be looking at a question for weeks, if not Uh, years with some breaks in between. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Now, the identity of Jesus matters a great deal. Almost every magazine, whether it's Life or Time or, or whoever, when they studied the greatest people of history, just about every single one of those lists has Jesus as number one. How can someone who was born about 2,000 years ago Never had a, a kingdom here on earth, right? Never, never lived in a castle. Never had an army. How can someone who was a, a peasant, born a peasant, didn't even have a home in his adult life, how can he be the number one greatest historical figure ever? Well, some people say it's because he was a great prophet. Other people say he was a great teacher. Still other people claim Uh, that he healed people, but other than that, there was nothing special about him. Well, what we're going to do is we're going to look at what the Bible says about Jesus. What someone who was with Jesus for years, the Apostle John, the author of the Gospel of John, wrote about who is Jesus. And week in and week out, we're going to see what John says. And uh, spoiler alert, he says he's God, the Messiah. Now, the identity of Jesus is is an important question. Uh, The apologist C.S. Lewis, he came up with a famous trilemma. Now, most of the time we say, oh, we have a dilemma, right? We have either this or that. But but a trilemma is is three options. The three options of Jesus' identity, according to C.S. Lewis, is that Jesus could have been a liar. He went around, he told people that he was God. If I went around telling people I was God, I would be a liar. Maybe Jesus wasn't a liar, though, C.S. Lewis proposes. Maybe he was just a mere lunatic. He was crazy. He was mad. And so he, he goes around and he tells people he's God, but it's really not his fault because he's actually insane. Or the third option, and C.S. Lewis's famous trilemma, is that he's neither liar nor lunatic, but he's actually Lord. Now, many of you believe that Jesus is Lord. Maybe most of you in here believe that Jesus is Lord. You, you've called on him to be your Savior, your King, your God. 
But as we look at these beginning verses of John, I have to ask the question, do you live like Jesus is your Lord? Do you actually live like Jesus is the Lord? And honestly, as I was looking at this text, as I was studying this text, I was convinced that I don't always do that. I don't always live like Jesus is the Lord of the universe. I don't always live like Jesus is God. I don't always live like he is the light that shone into the darkness and darkness is not going to overcome him. Maybe you're right there with me. You see, we often fail to let our head knowledge of who Christ is translate to a heart knowledge of living in light of who Christ is. But here at the beginning of John's book, in his first 18 verses, we're only going to cover five this morning, but in his first 18 verses, the prologue, the introduction to the whole book that has all these themes about Jesus, he's going to get right up in our face and he's going to show us who Jesus is and what he's going to repeat Sunday after Sunday to us, who Jesus is, and that means something for how we need to live. And he's going to show us the grandeur of the identity of Jesus with these simple words and these profound statements. Today's big idea that we're going to see John espouses, especially in the first five verses, is that Jesus is God, and he brings light and life to the world. That's important. Elementary truths, maybe elementary things, you already have known this since you were a child. Nevertheless, they're foundational truths, and we need to cover them today. Jesus is God and brings light and life to the world. I'm going to read the first 18 verses of John. We're only going to cover five today, but this is the prologue. This is the introduction. So if you haven't, join me in your, in your Bible in John chapter 1, starting in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines into the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. Yet he was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. And from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. 
That is the word of God. That's the best thing you're going to hear all day. But let's talk about it. Let's talk about the first five verses. What do we see here? Well, we immediately see that there's the word. And we need to identify who the word is. And the word is Jesus. Okay, we know that because in verse 14, it says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glories of the only Son from the Father. Okay, that's Jesus. And again in verse 17, For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now, ironically enough, verse 17 is the first time that Jesus' name is mentioned in John's intro, in his introduction. He, he builds other identities of who Jesus is, and the first identity that we see is that the Word is Jesus, and Jesus brought light and life. You see, the Word is Jesus, and Jesus is bringing that light and life. In fact, even uh, some scholars say that light and life are the names of Jesus as well just like the word. Well, what about this intro? What about this first verse in John? It's very significant. It's very easy to understand. When I was in seminary, I had to take Queen Greek, ancient Greek. And, and when they taught us enough vocab and when they taught us enough about the grammar, they started having us translate things. The very first translation that I had was from the Gospel of John. You know why? Because John writes with words that are for like preschool age kids. But the, but the truth behind his statements are profound. He says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Now, this is significant because a couple of months ago we celebrated Christmas, right? And during the Christmas season, most of us in our families will, will read the Christmas story. And we'll refer to Matthew or Luke. And even um, in Matthew and Luke, where they start with the Christmas story, Jesus becoming flesh, or they might start with the genealogy, um, or the other synoptic gospel, which is Mark. Mark starts off with Jesus' earthly ministry. All of those three other gospel accounts begin with Jesus becoming flesh. They begin with Jesus' ministry. Why? Well, because they want to point out that the whole Old Testament is calling out that there's going to be a Messiah, and that Messiah has come, and the Messiah is Jesus. Now, John, in his book, he wants to say, yes, there is a Messiah, and that Messiah is Jesus, but he goes even past the Old Testament to the very beginning. Now, do you guys remember the very first verse in the Bible? It's Genesis 1.1. What does it say? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Do you see the similar language here in John 1.1? 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word. You see, John is echoing back to the fact that before anything else existed, there was the Word. Now, he's talking about an idea here that is uh, different for you and I. Uh, the Word. What does that mean? Well, John is, uh, the, the Gospel of John, I should say, is the last Gospel to be written. It was probably Mark, Matthew, Luke were all written earlier, and then several decades later is the Gospel of John. Now, John has had enough time to have ministry. He's shared the Gospel. He's seen the Gospel spread throughout the Roman world and even beyond those borders. But John is using an idea of talking about the Word. What is the Word? Why does he use that? Why doesn't he say, in the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and uh, Jesus was God? Why does he say Word? 
Well, there was an idea in Greek philosophy, it was, it was uh, really a, a big idea, that there was this idea of the word. And the word uh, was divine reason or divine wisdom. And, I, and it wasn't like, uh, it wasn't personal wisdom, it wasn't personal truth, it was just kind of like that generic pie in the sky, there's wisdom out there, and that's kind of like God, it's, but it's not really, and, and they don't really, the word doesn't love us. But what John's doing is he's saying, no, 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 I'm going to correct that, that philosophy of you Greeks. And I'm also going to, to show you that actually God acts through his word. How does he act through his word? Well, uh, we see that John is a Jew, right? He, he grew up being a Jew. Uh, John believes that there is one God, and he believes that that God always acts through his word. He knows the Old Testament, and that's why he's echoing back to Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And how did God create all, all things? Through his word. He spoke all things into existence. And John not only knows that, but he, he's echoing what Psalm 33-6 says. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. Or also Psalm 107, verse 20 he sent forth his word and healed them and delivered them from destruction. You see, what John is doing is he's echoing back to what the Old Testament has already said. God acts through his word. But he's not simply saying that God is acting through his word and, and creating all things, but that God's word is, is becoming flesh. He'll say that later on in verse 14. That God's word is becoming the... the theological word is incarnate. Why is that important? Well, John starts off in verse 1 saying how the word existed. The, the word existed with God. And, and you, you think that that's pretty important, right? I'll tell you a quick story from my past. Um, I got the opportunity to meet Laura Bush when I was in college. Okay, I was a junior in college. Now, when I was a junior in college, Laura Bush was no longer the first lady, okay? Um, but because she was um, a former first lady, because of her proximity to George W. Bush, a former United States president, she had secret service. She was an important person because of who she was with, right? During the eight years that George W. Bush was the president of the United States, she was one of the most important ladies in the world. No longer was she, but yet she still had the secret service. So that made me very nervous when I met her, right? Oh, those guys are locked and loaded. <laughs> like, okay. Jesus was with God forever. That's important. It, that talks about the eternality of Christ. That Christ was not created, but that Christ has always been. I know that that's, that's hard, and stick with me because we're, we're going to explain why John is saying this, but it's not just that he was with God, but why did he exist with God? Because Jesus himself is God. Jesus is God. He's, he was with God, and he is God. Jesus is one part of the Godhead. Does Jesus just equal complete complete God? Not, not exactly. Okay, there's the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, but Jesus is a person of the Trinity. That's confusing. That's hard. Why, why does this matter? Well, it matters 
because of this. There are some people who are Jehovah Witnesses, okay, JWs. And they actually look at this passage and they say, John is not saying that Jesus is God. They argue that Jesus is just merely divine or that he is a small g God. But that's not what John is saying. There are people out there that want to say that Jesus isn't God himself. There's people out there that want to say that Jesus is just good or Jesus is just merely divine. But no, John is clearly saying Jesus is God. How do I know that? Well, first off, I've already mentioned John is a monotheist Jew, right? He grew up like every good Jewish boy and girl quoting the Shema from Deuteronomy 6, right? Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So John believes that there is one God. But not only does he believe that there is one God, but there's a Greek word that John could have used that would have said, uh, Jesus really isn't God, he's just divine. But John doesn't use that. John uses the word God. And beyond that, the rest of the book of John is going to clearly show us that Jesus is God. So, friends, we don't believe as Christians that Jesus is just merely a good teacher or just a prophet or just somebody who did some cool things, a historical figure. We believe that Jesus is God, has always been God, and always will be God. That's important for us. That's foundational truth for us. And and there are people out there who want to say, no, Jesus was just good. Or Jesus is a small g God, just one of many options. No, 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 friends. Jesus is God. And we only have hope in him. But not only is, is John talking about the word here, but he's talking about what happens through the word. You, you see, God acts through his word. You see in verse 2, he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. This tells us that when God speaks, he always acts through his word. Capital W there. When God wants to do something, he acts through his son, Jesus. Jesus is the creator of all things. Jesus made you and me, but he made our ancestors. He made the heavens. He made the earth Jesus is the creator God. God acts through his son. And here's a really important concept. The word is Jesus, and Jesus brought light and life. He brought life and light. Why is that important? Because God acts. And here's what happened. John is giving us, he's calling us back to creation. He's giving us this creation account. And he says, you you remember Genesis 1-1? And the people who are reading who have a background with the Bible, yeah, yeah, we remember Genesis 1-1, okay. In the beginning was God, okay. God created all things. In the beginning is Jesus. Jesus is God. He created all things. But what happened in the first creation? What happened back in Genesis? God created all things. He creates Adam and Eve. Then what happens? They, they sin against him. They sin against him in Genesis chapter 3. And the only reason it's Genesis chapter 3 and not chapter 2 is because chapter 1 talks about creation and then chapter 2 talks about creation again. They sin against God. And then there's darkness, there's evil, there's, there's sin in this world. But then what we see is that God didn't sit up in heaven and go, 
Those stinking humans, they sinned against me. (laughs) I'm just going to destroy them now. That's not what God does. He, he, He doesn't wring his hands up in heaven and say, I can't wait to just destroy all of humanity. No. God acts. He acts through his word. And so we have... We have this Old Testament here, okay? All this stuff. What does God do? He reveals himself to his people. He, he, he talks to mankind. He, he gives them his law. He gives them his prophets. He, he gives them this Old Testament so that they can know him. But throughout all of it, he says, I'm going to send someone. I'm going to send someone to rescue you. And right here at the beginning of John, John is telling this theme Jesus is that one. Jesus is the one in which God acts. Jesus is the one in which he brings light and life. That's important for us. Read verse 4 with me. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. If John was a poker player... He would have been a bad one. He's showing his hand early. He's just starting to write this book, this gospel. And he says, Jesus is the Savior. Now, to be fair, he doesn't put his thesis at the beginning. And that's a good way to write an English paper. So if you're still in school, you know that, right? And if you haven't learned that yet, kids, when you write your paper, you have to have a thesis statement. What's your paper about? And, and then that needs to be in your first paragraph. That's not in John's first paragraph, necessarily. But what, what is, is the fact that Jesus is light, and Jesus is life, and Jesus is going to rule over all things. But John writes his thesis statement, why he even wrote the book, in John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31. And he says this, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The whole reason John writes all of these things is so that people can believe in the identity of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. It's just the first several verses, he's very poetic, simply, but he's poetic in it. Well, what does that mean for you and I? Okay, we're sitting here at a Boy Baptist church. Many of you say, yes, I've already believed in Jesus. I trust that Jesus is God. I know that there's light and there's life in Jesus. Um, Yada, yada. Okay, so what? Well, those foundational truths are very important for us. But not not only are they important for us to know, but they are important for us to live out. And what we see in in John 1, 1 through 5 is Jesus' identity and that, that identity compels you to live missionally. You see, John never mentions the word missional here. But what happens? God is in heaven and he sends his son. God is enveloped in light and sends his son into darkness. God is life and in the middle of death he shoots an arrow of life to this earth. His son, Jesus Christ. That's important for us to know. It's important for us to know that our creator, Jesus, came down for his creation. 
It's important for us to know that Jesus is not just the creator God, but that he brings new creation as well. It's important for us to know that God made us. It's important for us to know that Jesus made us. And let's thank the Lord, yay, thank you, that we are here. But if we were left to ourselves, if we were left in the first creation, uh, we, we have 70, 80 years maybe, and then we die, and then we're dead forever. We're eternally tormented. But Jesus came to bring new life. Jesus came to bring a new creation. Funny thing about plants, plants can't survive without light. No, there's studies. There's been a lot of studies, but no better study than this. In, in my eighth grade science class, we, we read in our science book, okay, uh, photosynthesis, all this stuff, that's how plants get life, right? But a plant can't survive without light. Okay, Mr. Pointer. A plant can't survive without light. We get it. No, no, no. Mr. Pointer had us do a science project. We took, uh, I think they were little beans. We planted the little beans in little cups. We gave them some, we gave them some light. We, we watered them. And, and they started to grow. But then guess what happened? Mr. Pointer had us put them into the darkness. There was no light. There was no, uh, there was no like light bulb light. I can't think of that, what that's called. Synthetic light. There we go. There was no sunlight. Guess what happened to the plants? They died. Friends, uh, you and I are very much like plants in that way. Without light, we die. And yet God brings his son as the new creation. He sends his son to come into the darkness to bring new life for you and I. You know, that first creation story, it ends with Adam and Eve sinning. And it has a promise in Genesis 3.15 that God would send someone to crush the serpent's head. And so too will John's story. John's story has some heartache in it. Jesus is going to go to the cross. John spends a great deal of time talking about that as well. But what we're promised is this. That, that life and that light that you and I need... Verse 5, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The light continually shines. That's, that's present tense. It continually shines into the darkness. And the darkness, it's already, already defeated. That's important for, it, for you and I. You see, that first creation ends in heartbreak. This new creation will end in eternal life and victory. So, friends, what does that mean for you and I? Well, we see even from the first five verses of John that God is a missional God, and he sent light into darkness. He sent life into death. So what must you know? Well, you need to know that Jesus is God and that Jesus came to bring life. But what must you believe? Well, you need to believe that Jesus is God, that Jesus is the bearer of the light and the life that you need, and he came to give you life. And friends, if, if, if you are in here this morning and you've never heard Jesus is God, you've never uh, believed that Jesus is God, you've never believed in him as Savior, I would ask you today to believe. He did the work. We just trust him. But then what do we do once we believe? 
Well, you need to learn from the heart of God. So how can we learn from the heart of God? How can we learn from the heart of our God who sent his son into the darkness? Well, we can, we can learn this, that we're called to be lights as well. Do we get that from this text? Can we get this from, from these first five verses that, that we are called to shed this light and that we can offer life? Yes. <laughs> you, you see, John is doing just that as he writes these first five verses. He's telling others about Jesus. He's trying to shed this light. This world's dark. This world is empty. It's really hard to live life, right? There's a lot of heartbreak. It reminds me of a story I was told about this ship. It was in the Atlantic Ocean. These sailors were tried and true, but a terrible storm came upon them. They were, they were going to Europe from the United States. The storm enveloped them. The waves crashed against them. The wind hurled their ship so far off course, and the dark, the dark, dark skies allowed them to not even realize where they were. They were lost, and they were hopeless. Experienced sailors. Why? Because of the darkness. Because of the darkness, they had no hope. If only they had a lighthouse. If only they had some glimmer of hope. Well, friends, what happened is God sent his son, Jesus, to be that lighthouse for lost ships like you and I. And then Jesus, in turn, calls you and I to reflect that light. Do you know how lighthouses work? Yeah, they have a light, but they shoot the light across the ocean. What do they do? How do they, how do, they do that? With a form of mirrors. They direct the light. Friends, you and I are called to be those mirrors. We're called to reflect the light of Jesus Christ in our lives because our God is a missional God. Our God cares about those people who are lost in this dark, dark world. So how can we do that? This morning, we've heard good news. The, the good news is that Jesus is God and Jesus came to bring you and I light in life. That's good news, right? And, and it's followed up in verse five with the fact that the darkness has not overcome it. The darkness is already lost. That's the darkness feature. That's good news. Do we live like it? And how can we live like it? How can we live like this is good news? Well, I know some Christians, they live life like their dog just died. Every day, you can never tell that there is any hope for anything. If you're, if you're, I'm using, I'm going to use Trey Sands as an example. If, if your team just won a championship, if your team just won a big game, you would be happy even if everything else in life turned sour. You'd say, well, at least they won. So for those of you who don't know, my buddy Trey Sands, he's a big North Carolina fan. And there was a little basketball game last night in the final four. So, you know, there's over 300 teams in, uh, in college, Division I, basketball. And then, and then the best 64 teams, they play, or 68 teams now, they play in a tournament. And you get down to the final four. 
And in the final four was Trey's favorite team, North Carolina, versus Duke, which is their arch rivals, against a coach who said it was his last season and there was no way North Carolina should have won the game. And they did. And so I talked with, with Trey this morning. He has his North Carolina sky blue shirt on and his North Carolina Michael Jordan shoes on. He's happy, right? And the game was pretty late last night, and he was so energetic he couldn't go to sleep for like another hour, he told me. You see, even if everything else in Trey's life gets pretty bad today, right? Kid gets sick or something like that. He's still going to be saying, well, at least North Carolina won. <laughs> He's going to have a little glimmer of hope, right? And that's something that's so inconsequential, right? Most of us couldn't tell you who won the uh, NCAA championship 15 years ago, right? Not just like that. Unless it's your team, then you know exactly what happened. We have a God who, who gave his son to conquer sin and death and the devil who came into our darkness and he gives us life and light. He gives us hope. So I'm not saying that Christians need to walk around just with stupid smiles on their face all the time, just everything's great because life's not always great. But we should walk around with hope. We should walk around with an eternal joy because our God has overcome darkness. Our God sent his son to be life for you and I. And we're to reflect that. Do we live like it? Do we live like we have the hope of Jesus Christ in our lives or not? You see, friends, um, I think most people we know, friends, coworkers, they're not going to read Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. A lot of them won't, won't read um, the Bible. The closest thing they'll get to a Bible is you. And you're not the incarnate word of God, but you're to reflect him. And so are you living your life like Jesus is a liar? Oh, everything's so terrible. Are you living your life like Jesus is some lunatic? And if you are, then that means you're a lunatic as well for following someone like that. Are you living your life like Jesus is Lord? That he really has overcome the darkness. That no matter how bad this life gets, and let's, let's face it, friends, it gets bad. No matter what, we have victory and we have hope in Jesus We're going to continue looking at who is Jesus for weeks. But friends, we know today that Jesus is God. And Jesus has brought light and life to this world.